Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Ho, 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 Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Chris Kringle, the advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and the, uh, well, the Commodore of all things wine, <laughs> the wizard of wine. How about that? Hey, uh, it is the season. It is December. I hope everyone's relaxing, taking a deep breath, understanding that it is dark and rainy, and it's it's crappy driving, And um, but it's the holidays, and so keep that spirit, uh, plan ahead, be early, don't be late. Don't be frustrated. Don't drink too much. Remember, life's always better with a designated driver. Uh, and think about some t- spending time with people. I mean, w- this is a consumer world. Uh, share a bottle of wine. Share a bottle of spirits. Share a bottle of cider or a special c- Christmas beer or holiday beer or Hanukkah beer. I don't care. Just do some sharing. We all have enough uh, material goods, but what we... What we lack sometimes are opportunities to be connected and to engage and to share. And that's really what the Spirit is about. Sharing, obviously, we're going to take care of our, our brothers and sisters who have a little less uh, and need our help. But um, let's take care of each other when you're out and about. Uh, be courteous, smile, and and just be pleasant. Seattle was that way for a long, long time. And I, I've lived here since 1973, and I've seen ups and downs. But I'm concerned that we're losing the very uh, essence of what makes Seattle a great place, and that's our community. All the neighborhoods and all of our newcomers and and people that uh, can take some time to really share what it means to be a Seattleite or a Puget Sounder. (laughs) Anyway, uh, hope you enjoyed last week's show with the balsamic vinegars of Modena and, of course, Laura Catena. Um, Today I have uh, a new friend who has been in the business Actually, a little longer than I thought. Um, his name is Scott Heinrich, and he is the uh, founder of Genoa Cellars. He's up in Woodenville, and he's been making wine for over a decade now. And I think it's about time we get him some props, because he's got a lot of cool juice, and he brought four bottles in today. Scott Heinrich, welcome to Happy Hour. Uh, thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So uh, it's interesting that I had uh, balsamic vinegar last month, and you have Genoa Cellars. So Genoa is a city in uh, the north of Italy, correct? Yeah, it's actually a double play on words. It's also a mid-sized jib sail on a sailboat. So <laughs> on our logo is a sailboat, and Genoa, of course, is a great port city in Italy that's just outside of Tuscany, um, and we focus, of course, on Tuscan-style wines. Excellent. Um, now, do you have a favorite salami? <laughs> Genoa, of course. <laughs> of course. Excellent. Well, let's talk about you. Um, what were you before you got into this uh, exciting lifestyle as being a winemaker? Well, so uh, back in the, um, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, my winemaking partner, Derek Berger, and I started down a path uh, in Montana. We started making beer together. And we both moved to Seattle um, approximately the same year. Now, hold on. Were you making, like, Pilsner kind of beers, or were you making hoppy, crafty-style beers? Uh, we were making more. Uh, we would try to, like, make something that would taste, say, like Red Hook one time. Then we might try to make a stout another time. Okay, and, great. Yeah, so we would try to experiment a bit like that. We uh, we also made our own Kahlua one year, 
and it was uh, a very- the base spirit for Kahlua is well, we used Everclear. <laughs> that is not the base spirit. The base spirit for Kahlua is rum. <laughs> how would how did it turn out? A little hot, was it? It was a little hot. It's very dangerous. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so you went from beard to yeah. just, just spirits to, to the liqueurs spirits. and, and cordials. So really, uh, back in the in the mid to late nineties. Um, I was dating my wife at the time, and Derek was dating. You his were wife dating your wife at the time, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the pre-wife. Exactly. And so, of course, uh, we started getting into wine tasting quite a bit. And at the time, I, I had uh, launched a, an online wine tasting site called TasteofWine.com, and uh, and spent some time with that, trying to do a, a startup kind of during the startup years. And eventually kind of evolved into going to work at Microsoft following that. (laughs) I see. You took that high-tech jump from creating your own website (laughs) and and, uh, intellectual platform to um, assuming with the collective, right? Assuming with the collective. There were a lot of signs on the wall that the the market was heading in the wrong direction in the early 2000s. Well, I'm glad that someone showed you those signs or those signs (laughs) appeared to you in a vision, but uh, a lot of other people... Caught off guard. St- stuck with the passion with with winemaking, and then uh, really started making wine as a hobby in two thousand three for the first year. Um, so two thousand, the harvest of two thousand three. Harvest of two thousand three. Thanks. Two thousand four. Very ripe year that year. Very Derek hot and I year. Both. Uh, we we actually sourced some fruit out of Kiona in Red Mountain, some Sangiovese that we made in our two thousand four vintage. Turned out quite nicely, and so we started just making more every year. Did it all turn out quite nicely? Uh, our 2005 was an experimental year. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, really, 2006 is where we, I think, hit our stride. Sure. Uh, Did you have the same fruit sources as 2003, or were you constantly looking for what you believed to be... Well, because we were still considered really hobby winemakers, um, we were trying to establish relationships and be able to get small amounts of fruit. Sure. And so, but we were getting some cab from Ciel de Cheval at the time. We got our Sangiovese out of Cayona primarily and started kind of experimenting with Merlot and... Is this all Red Mountain then? And did you continue to use Red prim- Mountain? Primarily Red Mountain. Kind of got... Tied into Red Mountain early, really liked the way the the wines were turning out, and um, and we've also done a lot of work with Waluke Slope wine or vineyards as well. Interesting. Uh, those are very two distinct sites. As actually, we've got what fourteen uh, American viticultural areas here uh, within the within Washington, um, not counting the rocks of Milton Freewater, even though that's part of Walla Walla Valley. Yeah. Uh, but Red Mountain is the hottest site in Washington, and Waluke Slope is is actually pretty warm too, isn't it? It's pretty warm. It's the second warmest. Second warmest. Yeah. yeah. All right. I was going to yes. say Thurks, but I was trying to figure Walla Walla, but it's too big. Uh, well, interesting. So, when did you feel like you were truly commercial viable? Well, I think our 2006, we submitted um, our, t- our Tuscan-style blend, which um, I, I labeled as Traveler at the time, which was is actually a component on a sailboat. And that wine, uh, we submitted to the International Amateur Winemakers Conference, and it received gold medals um, at that competition and realized that Hey, all of our friends and our family are saying, hey, this is really amazing wine, and apparently other people thought so too. So we started kind of uh, doubling our production at that point. All right, so 2007, you came out with how many cases? So 2007, we were probably up to about 50 cases total. Excellent. All right. Wait, how many? 50. (laughs) Yep. 
<laughs> you doubled production from one barrel to yeah. two. Yeah, and then all right. Well, that truly is a double. And we were uh, so. What we ended up doing is by two thousand nine. We were uh, probably at, a, uh, let's see, about 500 cases Okay, for our 2009, which is the, the vintage that we went commercial with. It's interesting because between that and, and just the tail end of 7 and 2008 and 2009, it was a struggling time for a lot of wineries, uh, especially the established ones who were trying to command uh, relatively high prices for they their were. They were all making their way west of the mountains to open tasting rooms about that time. Uh, that's true as well. And I remember some of the big boys who were who make great wine were calling me up, I got a deal, <laughs> which which you like, but still, like, well, I can only buy you know so much of that deal. Um, well, yeah. congratulations! How many people are employed by this uh, gargantuan uh, mammoth enterprise <laughs> called Genoa Cellars? Uh, we have about eight part time folks that help us out in the tasting room, help us do some crush, um, you know, seasonally, and help us uh, run some events. Right on. Yeah. Okay, so you are based. You actually have a tasting room in Woodville. Yeah, we're in the warehouse district just north of downtown Woodenville. And you have a couple of, you have a lot of neighbors there. That's who did I see? I think I saw Paige, um, WT Vintners, you've got yeah, Eye of the, the Needle. Those are some of our neighbors. Patterson's around the Patterson corner. Patterson, and who's on the garage is in there. Uh, we're kind of wedged in between Kestrel, Kestrel and Florentino. Yes. Yep. Excellent. So a lot of neighbors, uh, which is good because it creates critical mass. And obviously, uh, your tasting room opened when? Uh, we opened the tasting room in 2012. We were around the corner at that point. And uh, and then we had a couple of years where we had a second tasting room also open in the Hollywood Hill district. And uh, and then we just decided to consolidate back down to the one tasting room. And that's where you host production now as well, correct? Yeah, that's a, that's a production space for us. But we, of course, have um, over the years have outgrown um, all the spaces we've been in. So we kind of have... Uh, things in multiple places uh what do they call that shedding or molting (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh very cool well let's dive into some of the wines uh you brought four bottles of wine today and we're gonna have a chance to taste these the first one we you opened is called danger boy danger boy Yeah. yeah and of course it's a little bit of a play on words as well because a lot of people call it danger boy and uh it's our you can see the bright red and black label it's uh it's actually the bottle is shaped like a danger buoy. If you were out sailing and you were in international waters, you might see a, a danger buoy, which is really just marking something to watch out for. Right, a danger here. A danger. <laughs> okay. Do the two uh, cir- circles or dots on the front say something about that particular uh, yeah, essentially, maritime uh, law? Danger boys, what they would have is um, two black spheres with a, kind of a stick connecting the two of them, sticking off the top of a danger buoy. Well, that's tough. Black, yeah. huh? Black. <laughs> Hard to see at night, I imagine. Uh, okay, so this is a uh, Sangiovese, 100%? This is this is actually a 97% Sangiovese. We blend it with just a little bit of Syrah, give it a little additional mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is screw cap, and uh, you most of your uh, expressions are with synthetic cork, which that's a pretty cool cork. It looks like cork. It feels like cork. I almost smelled it. Yeah, <laughs> but I caught myself. Um, this is really a delicious Sangiovese, and I've been waiting for Sangiovese to really um, claim its place in Washington because we have vineyards that go back to like 98. Didn't see all the Chevalga planted for Sangiovese in 97 or 98. Could yeah. be older. I don't know when... Kiona planted, but obviously we're talking 20-year vines, which should be at that stage where they're considered uh, 
relatively mature for especially this area, but re- around the world, uh, 20 years is kind of the second class of, of wines because they, cause they've been doing it longer. But yeah. not to say that they're this bad. This is uh, moderate plus acidity. The tannin is very soft. It's integrated. Uh, I didn't get a lot of new oak on this wine. I'm going to take another sip. Mm-hmm. No, but I think you have some barrel notes, and you, you use some large format. I know we tasted before, and I yeah, I don't remember, so I'm just trying to put it together um, from a deductive standpoint. Uh, the the mouthfeel is it's rather generous, and it finishes with acidity. And just enough tannin to dry your palate. So, mm-hmm. where was I wrong? Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> it has that that great kind of sour cherry note that comes from a, a Sangiovese. Yet this is this is a wine. The reason why we decided to screw cap as part of it is part of the packaging. But um, it's it's kind of a ready to drink now Sangiovese. You can you know you could lay it down for a couple of years, but most people pop it open the minute they buy it. Yeah, it's juicy. Uh, we have a wine club member that literally comes in every Saturday and buys her one or two bottles of wine. Um, it's always Danger Buoy, and right. goes home, drinks it, and comes back the following Saturday, <laughs> buys a couple more. <laughs> I see. That's what uh, seven days. That's basically <laughs> six ounces a day or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. I noticed she bought four last time. Oh, okay. So she gets a glass and a half. Uh, fantastic. I really enjoy this wine. Uh, is this a specific? Do you have a Danger Boy website, Buoy, or is this part of the? This what is, is your website. This is actually part of our Genoa Cellars brand. Uh, it's just in a little bit different packaging. All right, yeah, and uh, it's available now. This is the 2016 release, so it's available for the holidays. Yeah, the 20, 2016. This is actually has not been released yet into our tasting room, and we will be releasing it. Um, actually, probably by the time this airs, <laughs> like <laughs> tonight, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> six o'clock, seven o'clock. Too funny. Uh, speaking with uh, Scott Heinrich, who is the former uh, Montana meets Microsoft meets uh, San Chavese in Woodenville, and he is the founder and owner of Genoa Cellars. Genoa referring to not only the uh, Italian port city close to Tuscany, uh, north of Tuscany, and it's but also a specific type of sailing jib, which is that big sail in the front. So we've got three more wines to taste and some more stories to tell. So stick around, folks. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio. He's live, he's local, he's all Northwest. Lars Larson, weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Ho, 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 and a bottle of rum is some uh, sailor or a pirate might say, and I've I've got kind of a pirate here. He's a, a winemaking pirate. He loves sailboats. His name is Scott Heinrich, and he is the founder and owner of Genoa Cellars. We just tasted his... Danger buoy, Sanchovese with uh, 3% Syrah. That's under screw cap and coming out um, like tomorrow. So check it out. His website is? It's www.genoacellars.com. That easy. And Genoa with a G. <laughs> Genoa with a G. Excellent. Uh, Scott, we've got three wines here. Let's talk about it. And they're actually different color labels. You've got a yellow, you have a black, and you have a gold. We're starting with the 2015 yellow label, The Boom. Yeah, the boom, it, this is a Tuscan-style Cabernet Sauvignon. This is blended with Sangiovese. So it's 81% Cabernet Sauvignon, blend, blended with 19% Sangiovese. It's primarily Red Mountain fruit, but uh, 
half of the cab that's actually blended in there is from Discovery Vineyard in Horse Seven Hills. Excellent. Um, it's interesting. Uh, you had the term the boom. I'm sure that would be pretty popular in the, for the Legion of Boom or the Sonic Boom or yeah. uh, you know, boom, boom, out go the lights. But the boom is really the long... Uh, uh, horizontal mast, right? The it other is. end it's, of the mast. Which yeah, is, it's kind of the base of the mast. It's a, it's called a spar or the pole that goes horizontally. The long stick goes boom. That's yeah. What <laughs> uh, I'm tasting this. 2015 was the hottest record on vintage for Washington State. Yeah. I am so surprised how well, how deftly everyone has handled the ripeness, the sugar, the acidity, the balance, and the tannin. Um, I, I haven't had a wine that tasted raisiny or too jammy or had too much added acidity to help balance that out. So it's, uh, I think, kudos to our our state winemaking um, uh, aptitude. And obviously 10, 11, 12, it's been a, a myriad of styles of, of grapes coming in the door each year. Um, but 15, of course, being the warmest, this is a delicious wine. Uh, I like that the Cabernet gives you body. Uh, the Sangio gives you more of a bright red fruit tint. So you've got a spectrum. You've got boysenberry, blackberry, of course, always black cherry. But you have some raspberry and uh, red currant pie cherry here coming from the Sancio in this wine. This tastes like it has a little bit of oak on it. It does. It does. Yeah. We put we put our cab generally on new French oak for a period of time. Um, we don't buy a lot of new French oak, but generally the cab that um, that's where it goes. Mm-hmm. And um, in this case, yeah, we're I mean, you put this wine with a little bit of food and that acidity from the Sangiovese really comes out and really makes it a, I mean, it tastes good out of the bottle now, but it's amazing with food. I, I bet I can sense that and sense the season for more than just a little bit, uh, obviously with uh, holiday entertaining and of course the uh, the cold, wintry weather that's uh, descending upon us. We look for more comfort, more warmth, more um, something to keep the cold out, off, often found in a any bottle that has a cork. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, we're a boutique winery, so we don't distribute this wine. It actually sells out most years within four or five months of us releasing it. And so uh, just our tasting room customers and our wine club members usually clamor for it, and, and you seem to be a big fan as well. I am a big fan. I, I'm really pleasantly surprised. I shouldn't be, but I've tasted, met a lot of wine people. I've tasted a lot of wines through the years, and um, for being basically your ninth or tenth vintage on the commercial side uh you nailed it and i I like the sangio 16 i like this one Uh, i think they're very well balanced deftly textured or subtly textured um it's all about balance when it comes to the end uh all right so that is the boom what does that run at the uh warehouse or wine tasting yeah we we retail it for 36 dollars great yeah how come I always like the expensive ones? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, our wine club members get a pretty significant discount off Excellent. That. All right. So the second wine you have is called? So that's called Crosswind. Crosswind. Interesting. I, I always get a kick. You know, I'm looking at it. You have quotes on the boom, but there's no quotes on Crosswind <laughs> on the label there. Uh, that's true. That's true. So the boom, um, because of the word boom... We had to make sure that it's clear it's the boom uh, right. um, and versus just boom. And so in the case of Crosswind, people have asked me, so what's Crosswind? And I, I tell them what the varietals are in the wine, but I say the Crosswind really is the Petit Verdot, which is only 4% in that wine. 
but it's such a, it's that grape has a, a lot of character to it and really creeps in there and you say, wow, so something just took me across my palate. And that's the Petit Verdot. <laughs> Excellent. It's funny how Petit Verdot is a small grape with a lot of power and, and a lot of people. I, I'm also curious to see how that particular grape turns out in Washington State because there's lots of people who are actually making 100% Petit Verdot, um, which is cool. So this is this has more body. This has definitely that dark Petit Verdot flavor. I think the pH seems to be a little higher here because it, you've got this generosity in the mouthfeel, and I think... Petit Verdot has a little bit higher pH, if I recall, but I'm not a winemaker, and I'm probably wrong. That's okay. I can do it. i just take another sip of this. Yeah. Uh, what is the blend? So this is 60% Sangiovese, and it's all red mountain fruit. Mm. It's 24% Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, I guess you get into uh, whatever the percentage is of the Merlot, plus the 4% of Petit Verdot. All right. And um, so Sounds the Merlot like just kind of adds a little bit of softening to it. All right. Uh t- Excellent. This is a, a lovely blend. How many? How long does it take you? And do you have a sp- specific routine? Do you do you taste for? Do you start blending at ten a.m. when your palate's acute, or do you wait two days and come back to it? What's your style in, in blending? Oh, for doing our blending, generally what we try to do is we want to put our blends together um, usually about three months before we bottle. And, okay. And so um, we'll get to, Derek and I will get together, and we'll have a plan of what we think it's going to be. And then we'll start doing tasting, um, and we'll make some adjustments to see if it's kind of panning out the way we thought it was going to based on the calculations. Some gold nuggets in that pan, you're hoping, some gold flakes. Yeah, and, <laughs> and so it's not unusual for us to take the spreadsheet and go, you know, urge, take that barrel, put that over here, pull I it see. out of that, and put it over here. And I trust that's an Excel spreadsheet, right, being a former <laughs> Microsoftian? It is an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> okay. Um, so fun. This this is really delicious. Do you use different s- s- types of stemware for, for blending trials? Do you, do you taste it in like three or four different kinds of glasses so you really know that when the consumer gets it or your perception? Do you have any of those constraints or um, protocols? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that we do that. We have a... Um we have a Bordeaux-style glass that we have logoed with Genoa Cellars we use at the tasting room, and it's actually a kind of our go-to glass. All we, right. We find that that's our glass that we like to carry around, and uh, that's kind of what we use for our blends. All right, the glass with class. And speaking yeah. of class, you brought a very special selection to round out our tastings today. Tell me about this wine. So this wine is called Leeway. This is a wine that we don't do every vintage. The gold label wine. It's a gold label. This is a what we call a wine club only reserve. We don't sell it to the general public. It's only sold and kind of released in allocations for our wine club. The reason why we call it leeway, of course, is it's a sailing term. But we also say we have the leeway to change it at any time. <laughs> so this wine is never the same Asterisk. wine. <laughs> it has been 100% Merlot in the past. Wow. And in this case, uh, this is actually a blend of Sangiovese, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, Fairly equal parts with just a little bit of Merlot in it. Ah. It's definitely uh, a f- the fuller, fullest bodied wine I think I've, I've tasted today in terms of dark fruit. You've got the purple, the blue, and the black fruit profile here. Um, it, it has a little more weight, and it tends to have a little more tannin. And it's, it's, it's grape tannin that is um, more expressed on the palate and in the gums. But it is it has structure, which of course we want for longevity. When you say something's wine club only, special reserve, you should have a wine that 
can be reserved for future enjoyment. Is that right? Absolutely. And this is definitely a wine that you might taste it and say, that's a little bit young, but sure is delicious. And that's hopefully what people say when we do release it here in the next three to six months. But all the sources of fruit for this are, you know, named sources like Ciel de Cheval for our Sangiovese, our Cabernet Sauvignon. We source from Heart of the Hill and Red Mountain. We source from Quintessence. Um, and, of course, like in the boom, you tasted the Discovery, which is a pretty amazing vineyard also. Excellent. Which is the largest vineyard of your sources? Is it Discovery? Uh I don't know. Quintessence might be the largest. Is that with that twenty acres? That's a pretty. It's a pretty large vineyard, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was trying to keep up, and I, I see that the B- big red mountain purchaser from Canada uh, is opening a tasting room someplace over there. Which, uh, yeah. of course, you know, the more the merrier. That critical mass is important. You have a website, GenoaSellers dot com. Do you have some events coming up in de- late December or January or? Um, yeah, absolutely. What's going on up there? So definitely um, around uh, December the 15th is the, the day on Sunday that we're going to probably start our promotions for, for Christmas holiday. So that will be tomorrow. <laughs> and, Perfect. Um, so definitely come up, do some wine tasting. Hopefully you'll get a chance to try these wines. And uh, we're going to be running some promotions. We'll have some great gift ideas. And, hey. uh, and, we, w- and we do ship. Excellent. Uh, by boat, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Uh, Scott Heinrich, hey, um, congratulations on crafting great wine this year, and, and good luck for the future years. Uh, I appreciate your time and sharing Genoa Cellars with me. Well, we'll really appreciate you having us on, and uh, I love to talk about the wine, love to talk about Sangiovese and Super Tuscan-style wines. So. That you do. Yep. Such a treat. That's Scott Heinrich, the owner of uh, and, and winemaker for Genoa Cellars. Hey, folks, stick around. We're going to have some cool holiday gift ideas coming up next for all those last-minute people that, yeah, well, you just found out they were actually nice this year. Stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Putting America first and holding the powerful accountable. Sean Hannity, weekdays 6 to 9 p.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Well, ho, 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 and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for segment three. We've got our glasses filled with good cheer and good friends. Uh, One of my good friends is in studio again. It's Tanya Morningstar Darling. She is part of the South Seattle Community College um, Wine Academy faculty, and she's also uh, very well certified with uh, wine regions around the world. Let's get her on on uh, on the show. Hey, Tanya, welcome back to Happy Hour. Thank you, Chris. Um, we just had a nice little evening uh, the other night where we tasted a bunch of wines from my cellar. It's always, you know, you, you, you save all these wines. You like, someday I'm going to open them up. And I said, some days passed and passed. It never came. So I opened up all those wines, and it was so fun to have so many people there and, uh, you know, put a little, little tease on them and see if they could figure it out. It was such a treat. Yeah. Yeah. We tasted two flights blind Pinot Noirs from Burgundy and Oregon, and one from Oregon, Washington. Yeah, one from Washington. And then a huge flight of uh, Bordeaux blends so, yeah. with a few Spaniards thrown in there. Span- Spain, Italy, France, and Washington and California. So uh, yeah. it was uh, lots of good wine, uh, good food. But we are here today, um, or here tonight, Brighton. <laughs> 
right and early. It's dark out. Uh, let's talk about you. You've uh, had a successful career uh, the last quarter here at South Seattle Community College and the Wine Academy. What classes will you be teaching in the future? Uh, well, this winter I've got Introduction to Wines of the World, which is, uh, or actually that's going to be next spring. Anyway, I teach Introduction to Wines of the World where we travel all over the world, touching and inspiring people to get curious about the Great Wines regions of the world. Are these a one-hour class, a two-hour class, or a half-day? So Introduction to Wines of the World is two, two-and-a-half-hour classes a week. Um, I've also got coming up this winter a new class I'm really excited about, which is an Advanced Wines of the World New World. So right. that'll be South America, so, um, Southern Hemisphere in general, Australia, New Zealand. Um, Canada? A little bit of Canada, okay. uh, Oregon, heavy on Oregon, and, and very heavy on California. So I'm really excited about <laughs> that. Are we Washington wine dad already? Or well, we have a whole class devoted to Washington oh, wine really? at, that every student has to take for the degree program. So I left Washington wine out. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Very good. So how would one find these classes? Is this uh, Do you have to be enrolled as a student, or you can just pop in for this class and take just sign up for one class? I don't have to get a whole 15 credits, do I? You don't have to. Um, sometimes it might take a little assistance to enroll if you're not going to go in the degree program. I but see. once you get enrolled, uh, you have a student ID. You can register for any class you want anytime. So huh. it's a little bit of work at the beginning, but you don't have to be going for a degree program. So we have a lot of enthusiasts um, there just to enjoy. Is there wine at every class? Do you taste wine at every class, or is there like one you don't taste, the intro or something? We taste wine. I taste wine in every class. We taste, <laughs> <laughs> we taste six to eight wines in every class, including in my wine history class, where we taste all kinds of really unusual things that I source carefully to instruct about what wine might have tasted like in the Was it Racketicelli or something? Racketicelli. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. And orange wines and all kinds of fun what stuff. Was it Sherapavo or something? I forget. Um, anyway, uh, that's so fun. Well, uh, I look forward to checking those out because uh, South Seattle is in my neighborhood. Um, but you have gone on and got some great uh, accolades and accreditation with some other wine regions. Tell us about that. Well, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm blushing already. Um, last year, I was invited by the Bourgogne Wine Board to become an official Bourgogne Wines Ambassador, one of 60 in the world. So I went to Bourgogne, and I did it. Yeah, that's really neat. And uh, it, just to be Im immersed in Bourgogne is so fantastic because every little, I've been reading about Bourgogne. I did a lot of studying when I was uh, on hiatus <laughs> under the sun. And I, it's really fun for me because I was re-energized into learning about the, the little things and, and how certain vineyards are right next to each other and how they're limestone and all that stuff. Um, it's amazing. You host some classes now. I went to a Burgundy class you had at Sepe at that new wine bar in Bellevue. Yeah. Um, I've got a wonderful little partnership going with Sepe. They're an importer distributor, and they have a tasting room where everything from their book is on tap, which is neat. They're not <laughs> on tap, but open, available yeah. by the ounce, half ounce glass. Um, so I'm doing a masterclass series there. Um, lots of Bourgogne in-depth exploration. And coming up this winter, I've got Bordeaux, January 27th, uh, Loire Valley, February 17th, wow. and then back to Bourgogne, um, March 10th. Excellent. And yeah. uh, I also understand there's a little bit of Italy coming this way. Yes. Um, so another exciting thing I'm working on is the Wine Scholar Guild certifications. I used to teach those at the college, but now I'm going to start teaching them at CEPE. Um, they're, so, they're very in-depth. So uh, we figured that it wasn't really necessary to require students to take them for the degree program. Sure. But we are offering the French Wine Scholar one last time at the college this winter. 
Um, registration's open right now. Um, and what, what classes would that take? Is that, is that like a six-week course or a 10-week course? 11 weeks 11 of weeks. France. So three hours uh, a week for 11 weeks all about France. God, I took the, I, I'm, a, I'm a French wine scholar myself. I've got that great, the, the material they give you is very, very helpful. I mean, looking at all the soil structures of uh, Alsace and of Burgundy and the history there, uh, really, really cool. I, I should really just brush up. Um, You're so, welcome anytime. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, just to sit in for fun. <laughs> Excellent. So you've got master classes, which happen to pay, and you're also the Burgundy ambassador, the French or the Italian wine scholar, and French wine scholar. Yeah, uh, so the Italian wine scholar is also happening this winter. So I'm doing French and Italian at the same time because the French is happening at the college and the Italian is going to happen at Sepe on Monday night starting February 11th. Excellent. All yeah. right, after the after football season yeah. or Monday Night Football. So that's a unit one and two, um, and you've got to register for them both, and that sees two exams, um, one after each unit. Well, how many, how many levels are in, say, the Burgundy class? I mean, how far can you take that? Oh, well, or the Burgundy program, I should say. Well, Burgundy is endless, and that's the <laughs> thing that excites some of us. I think it might turn you off if if you don't if you want to finally feel like you've ever arrived. <laughs> But that's the beauty of it for me is that every step you take is you discover that you're just scratching the surface, the complexity of different terroirs and um, the multitude of producers and the incredible 2,000 years of history. So it, there's a lot. It, there's a lot. So um, for me right now, you know, I, I'm i kind of testing out how interested Seattle is. So. Uh -huh. Um, I've got, <laughs> and I'll keep going deeper if the students keep registering for more advanced um, exploration. Of That's cool. Yeah. When do these classes take place? Are they typically an afternoon event, or is it a morning thing, or do, are there some classes where perhaps some professionals can get involved in uh, after hours? Uh, yes. So at Sepe, the master classes happen on Sundays from four to six. And the Italian wine scholar or the wine scholar classes at Sepe are happening on Mondays from six to nine. All right. So that's a good time for professionals and uh, non-professionals too. Excellent. And uh, so the, the wine scholar, the Italian scholar one. How many classes is that? Is it, is it two units? It's two units. It's six classes for each unit, and uh, then I do a review session um, just before the exam. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, you you got to be committed. I know I'll already be <laughs> traveling a little bit in the springtime, but uh, as I prep for the Master Sommelier exam coming up in 2019, these are crucial uh, opportunities to take advantage of so I can really immerse myself and, and remember. And it's just it's, it's so fun when the stuff connects and clicks because I tell you, I remember reading about Valtellina and like, who cares? But no, no, you got it, right? You've got all this great wines up there. You've got the Chivanisca and... Uh, um, of course, there's right about Piedmont, so there's a lot of connectivity there. And, of course, what, you've got uh, Germany or Austria and Switzerland right by. And so these wine regions are really, really connected. It's kind of fun to, to see how those uh, Romans tra traveled around. <laughs> the diversity is very exciting. I find Actually, we had a really great pass rate the last time. This will be the second time that we've done it in Seattle. And um, I was trying to figure out why, because it's so hard. And I thought people who approach Italian wine you have to be a little a little crazy in a good way and really you know really full of love so the students just worked so hard and it was beautiful to see that first round of Italian wine scholars in Seattle. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that it's uh, it's uh, gratifying for you to see the uh, matriculation of your students and you guys know people and, and also help people get that next level right like look, coaching them and, and like what are you tasting and, and how do you describe it and it, at some point people are going to be 
uh, a lot more comfortable with with using some vernacular or some descriptors for wine because it seems like everyone just says, "Yeah, it's nice. I like it. It's good." <laughs> oh, it's very rewarding. It's beautiful to see the evolution of people's um, interest, knowledge, and um, and joy, really. What's a uh, website that people can go to to find more information about either the uh, Italian Wine Scholar Program or the Burgundy uh, Program and or classes at South Seattle? Yeah, well, I have a website. It's called Cellar Muse, C-E-L-L-A-R-M-U-S-E, www.com. Um, and I put everything I'm doing on there. So you can get to the college registration link. You can get to um, links about WSET classes in Seattle that I help out with. Um, all of the master classes, all the Wine Scholar Guild classes, and and everything else. You know, I'm sure people will, will take a look at some of those classes and go, wow, it, it has a, uh, there's a little bit of price point there. There's an investment in yourself, but it's totally well worth it because when you think of all the wines, you would have to spend twice as much money on just to procure the wines for yourself. Oh, and yeah. so this is kind of a buy-in, so it's actually a better deal to do these classes because, A, you don't have to go shop for them, B, you get to, to learn about them, and C, you get to taste them. Yeah, well, you know, I've been back in Seattle. I originally grew up here um, for 15 years. And in that time, I've seen the availability of obscure wines just blossom <laughs> it's so much fun but still there's a lot of stuff that's not available well we'll, we'll uh, dig into the glass you poured me something let's see if it's available here in Seattle hey it's being with Tanya Morningstar darling uh, faculty member at South Seattle College and CellarMuse.com stick around we'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio Start your day the right way. The Commute with Carlson, live and local, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m., Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, hope you're having a great Saturday night. Remember, uh, that designated driver keeps everyone safe. And happy for the holidays. So I'm here with Tanya Morningstar, darling, the faculty member at South Seattle Community College, the Wine Academy, and also the proprietor of CellarMuse.com. She's got the uh, Burgundy classes, the master classes at Sape in Bellevue. Great little wine bar. Uh, and the guy's French, so if you like hearing French accents, go talk to Julian. Uh, and also, we've got the Italian Wine Scholar um, program coming up in the spring, and I'm super excited to be participating in that. So sign up, and we'll do it together. Uh, Tanya, you are so kind to bring in a mystery wine here. Um, did you try that uh, white mercury uh, last night or the no. other night, the single vineyard white mercury? No, I wish Monopole. I had. Yeah, oh, it, was the, it was the white wine there, and I said, that's cool, because you never see a white mercury. Uh, yeah, I've had one, but you should have pointed it out to me. There was so much to taste. There was. So much to get through. I know. Yeah. There's so much red wine. Anyway, uh, we have a wine here, so um, I'm I'm looking at this wine. It uh, it has a little bit of kind of magenta, red, slightly purple, but it's it's... Uh, it's not. It's not showing me like black. It's got a little of a highlight here. I pick up the the glass. In the nose, it, I, my first impression is that it smells French. Uh, maybe that's because I use French oak, but it smells like just a little more austere than a a fruity uh, wine from uh, the New World. Uh, though it certainly could be. Uh, I'm going to take a taste. Hmm. The fruit is uh, ripe, um, just ripe. It's red. It's uh, pomegranate, um, black cherry, raspberry. Uh, it's slightly dry, a little desiccated on the palate. The, the acid is medium plus. It's a it's good strong acidity. Uh, the tannin is just medium, but it's uh, it's kind of an, a little aggressive 
grape tannin. I'm not getting a lot of oak on this wine. Mm, maybe it's maybe 20%. I don't know. It's hard to tell with these French ones, but I just don't know if it's French yet. Here we go. All right, so it's not baked. Um, if I take this to France, I would rule out uh, Bordeaux because it doesn't have the tannin or the color for um, Cabernet Merlot or Cab Franc. It's not Chinon. You don't get the uh, pyrazines in there. Um, it could be Gamay, but it's not gamey enough. Gamay Beaujolais. Um, it reminds me, actually, of Pinot Noir. Um, it could be Cote de Rhone, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Is that the gong? Is my time <laughs> That's my. I'm falling off my seat. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, if I were gonna, it tastes like Burgundy, but it tastes like warmer Burgundy. It doesn't quite have the acidity and structure. I would look for something in the uh, Cote de Dor, uh, either Cote de Nuit or, or Cote de Bone. Um, I'm going to say this is Pinot Noir from uh, Burgundy from the Chalonnay region, which is probably down there. So it's Cote Chalonnay's, it's uh, Mercury or Givry. That's a good guess, and I understand why you went there. Uh-huh. It's actually, Givry Chambertin, Premier Cru, Lavaux Saint Jacques. Ah, Lavaux Saint Jacques. So that's in the Cote de Nuit, but it's 2016. It's really young. They, the BIVB sent this to me for a seminar I was doing. And so it's really, really fruity still and not so open and and giving, although this wine is going to evolve beautifully. I can still taste it now, so perhaps I should have given a little more credit. Uh, But, you know, this is is pressure on uh, live. No, gosh, you you nailed it within, what, 50 kilometers, so... (laughs) <laughs> um, yes, I did. It's not too bad. And if I, I guess if uh, Givry was tasting this, I would probably buy a little more. Um, <laughs> certainly, as much of a value as uh, so. Givry is one of the communes uh, in the north part of the Côte d'Or in the Côte de It is what uh, Marcinet, Fixan, Corgolon. Uh, Corgolon's uh, way oh, way down. Brochon. Yeah, yeah Brochon. Then um, it's Givry, uh, Mori. Vujo, Vujo, Flagy, Flagy, yeah, and then Vone, and then go down into Louis Saint George, and then yep. you're into uh, Bone. So, so fun. I'm, I'm get to learn and get to taste. Yeah. Um, that's a delicious bottle. Now, is this available in Seattle? No. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that it's uh, the uh, Premier Cru Laveau Saint Jacques, which is uh, has a lot of. Um, pedigree in, in as far as Jeffrey Chambertin goes. Uh, I know that's one of the wines that I was reading about. Of course, it's just on the northern side, I think, of the, the Grant. Is it above on the hill? It, yeah, it's just near the comb. So a comb is a, for listeners, it's a like a dry valley. There's no river going into it, but it does funnel some cool air. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, it's on the northern side of the comb. Uh, the comb is called Lavo, which is where um, the wine gets its name. Um, and one of the climats there is, is Clos Saint-Jacques. So that's oh, within right. that. Yeah. Um, and it's widely considered that this uh, climat should have been a, a Grand Cru or could be a Grand yeah. Cru someday. Excellent. And Clos Saint-Jacques, of course, is the monopole for the Jadot family, right? Yes. They did it all mm-hmm. solely. That's a producer there. Uh, this is delicious wine. What would this cost, I think, in, in, you know, on retail 2016? How was vintage in 2016? I know we had some cha- challenges in 11, 12, 13, 14. 15 this was rock and solid, though, right? Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. No, this is going to be a great, I think, a great long-lived vintage. They've got, each year, the thing about global warming is that (laughs) we have riper vintages, but we also have more um, erratic weather. 
erratic weather. Yeah. Well, uh, you want to be consistent, you got to check out CellarMuse.com for all the great information on the, the wine classes. Tanya Morningstar, darling, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you, Chris. Hey, folks, hope you have a happy holiday. We'll be doing a couple best of shows over the holidays, and I'll be back in the new year wishing you all the best. And remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers! Cheers!